Sometimes we read these passages around Christmas, and they're actually good all throughout the year. Amen? And, uh, you know, I I look back that everything is happening in our nation. And I look at these elections and uh, all the change and chaos and everything that uh, we see. And I think one thing I I can conclude is this, that we are a very divided nation. I know, obvious, all right? Right down the middle, and I, I, and, I, and I see that the governments of man are unable to solve our problems. And I don't say that as necessarily a good thing, but um, the thing is, is as, as the nation continues to, to climb, decline in morality and move more, farther and farther away from the, from the commandments of God and from righteous living, there are, there are consequences, right? There's, we reap what we sow, and, and the Bible says we shouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised by any of this because as, as we pr- progress towards these end times, we know that lawlessness will increase in the earth. Lawlessness will increase, and so we see that happening. And the result of that, there's 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 consequences. You cannot you cannot mess with God's design for genders, and you cannot mess with God's design for marriage, and you can't touch these things without there being consequences. But we have a faithful, awesome God who, in the midst of all this darkness and chaos, has a plan. Come on. He has a plan for redemption. He has a plan to save and heal and to deliver and to pour out his spirit in this time and this hour. And I believe that we are in those times. And so as we approach these next few weeks leading up to Christmas, I really want to to just focus on what the word of God says about who this Messiah is. Because we are to declare, we are to preach Jesus, the person of Jesus. And um, there's many names throughout the Bible of who Jesus is, but I want to look at a few of those this morning and and also talk about what it means to us. And so if you're with me in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, let's read those together. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Ooh, that's good news. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And we don't stop reading because there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, righteousness from then on and forevermore. Somebody say forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, we want want our hearts to be open to you. Would you speak afresh to each and every person here this morning? Lord, you need what, you know what we need, Lord. And and Lord, we, Lord, I I thank you that even as as this message is being preached, you speak to each one of us individually. And that your word, Lord, will not return void, but it will accomplish what you desire. It It will succeed in the matter for which you sent it, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would let it just cut and that it would reveal the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It would divide asunder the soul and the spirit. Lord, that you would just bring us to a place of being closer to you, more conformed to your image through the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Isaiah is prophesying in the 8th century B.C. and 100 years before what was coming, the Assyrian invasion and the exile of, of the Israelites and so in the midst of this, there's this darkness, this warning, this pending judgment 
comes this bright light of prophetic promise of the Messiah. And he declares that though these times are dark and terrible for these lands, and, and specifically for the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali, these were the northern regions of Israel where, where those Assyrian invasions would really, would really impact heavily. But he speaks hope over them. I want you to hear this morning. He speaks hope and he speaks a future over them because the Messiah is coming and not as they might have expected. He's coming as a child. Come on. To us, to us a child is born. A son is given. And I don't, you know, I don't know what this did to their brains, but a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. I, I don't know if that's what they expected. And they're probably going, how will that happen? But... When he starts his ministry, Jesus does in Matthew chapter 4, it says he goes into the, the region of Galilee. And that is where these lands were. That is where his ministry would primarily be focused. And he would come as the Messiah to bring hope and light to a people who sat in darkness. Now, I don't know about you, but this gives me hope this morning for this area. Come on. Because... We live in an area that is dark, and, 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 and we, we face many challenges in this area. There's many that will say that this area is the first or second most unchurched area in America. But that's not the end of the story. Come on. And, I, I mean, I, we were at a conference in, in September, at a pastor's conference in Florida, and we, we were meeting different pastors, and they're like, one pastor, I shook his hand, he goes, where are you guys from? And we said, I said, Seattle. And he goes, oh, Shundai Harabakata. He grabs my hand. He said, he said, man, you guys get persecuted up there. Oh, Jesus, give them strength. I'm like, man, I didn't say Iran. We're from Seattle. There's still hope. Come on. This, this area is not without hope. Come on. I believe God has a plan. Where sin abounds, grace does abound even more. And he speaks of this area that their joy, Zebulun and Naphtali, their joy would increase. There would be much rejoicing in the Lord. Come on. That the yokes of burdens would be broken. And he compares the spiritual victory of the coming Messiah to that of Gideon over the Midianites. Come on, that was, a, that was quite a victory. That was 300 men. Coming up against 100,000 and getting a, a complete what shutout. Come on. That was good. He says, just as like Midian, this is, the, this is the degree, this is the greatness of the victory that Messiah will bring over the spiritual principalities and powers that have held you in darkness. Child born, a son given. We cannot understate how amazing that is. Paul says to Timothy, it's the mystery of godliness. God appeared in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Woo. Hebrews says that in times past, we heard from the fathers and the prophets, but in this present time, he has spoken in the person of Jesus. The exact representation of the father in the flesh. I don't know, but we should be in wonder and awe every, every time we think about his virgin birth and how he came. Amen. Oh, that gets me excited. But this it says, the government shall be upon his shoulders. 
And I know many who heard this might have thought, well, maybe that'll mean he will restore greatness to the earthly government of Israel once again. And let me tell you, this prophecy has not yet fully been been fulfilled. Because he's coming back, church, and he's coming to establish his kingdom on earth. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. Come on. And he's not coming back as a helpless, poor little baby. He's coming back on a horse with a sword, and he's coming back with a shout. And he's coming back in victory and triumph to to trample his enemies. Come on. And this, he will reign And those of us who believe in him, who have trusted him, who have made him Lord of our lives, we will reign with him. Come on. This is just some practice time here on earth. We're getting ready for that time. The the time to come in his kingdom on this earth. But here and now, his invisible kingdom is still reigning in the hearts of those who have turned their lives to him. His kingdom is advancing as as hearts are turned to him throughout the earth. We see the evidence of his government at work when we see that that, that someone who has been under tyranny of the enemy, who has been under the torment of the enemy, whose lives have dwelt in darkness, turns their life to Jesus. They, They see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Jesus, and they turn to him, and we see the power of his government at work because they're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, that's the greatest miracle on earth, people. Out of darkness into his light. He's the only one whose shoulders could bear the weight of the full government over the affairs of man. You see, the governments of this world cannot change the heart of man. I'm, I just say that again. The governments of this world can't change the hearts of men. But the government our God can. You see, there's, there's much we need to learn about his government. But when we see somebody who's been addicted in bondage to pornography or, or to addictions of drugs and these things, and we see them delivered, healed, and saved, come on, that's the power of his government at work. Isaiah later says in chapter 33, he says, For the Lord, our, Lord is our judge. Somebody say judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. And the Lord is our king. He will save us. Do you see something there? The three branches of government? The executive, the judicial, and the legislative? He's got them all. He's got his own checks and balances with the, uh, the Godhead. Come on. But he is Lord. And the question this morning is whether we will choose to fully come under his government. Fully come under his government. And first it says, his name shall be called. And I want to I go through each one of these names over these next few weeks. And the first one is Wonderful Counselor. Wonder, how many know he's wonderful? Now some, some versions, some translations might say Wonderful, comma, Counselor. But uh, I, when I look at this, I don't, I don't see the punctuation, the original Hebrew. I believe it's Wonderful Counselor. So that's where I'm going to come from. But he is wonderful. Come on. It describes his, how he is as a counselor. And so three things I want to share with you this morning about this. And one is that we need to recognize our need for his counsel. Recognize our need for his counselor. 
And, 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 you know, this is tough because sometimes there's this stigma associated with, I, I need counseling. But I want to tell you that each and every one of us needs counseling. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you got problems. <laughs> you can go both sides, you right? <laughs> now say, Jesus, I've got problems. <laughs> and here's the problem. Here's one of the problems is we fail to see our problems. You know, we tell others we've got this while we're dying inside. But our pride, our pride keeps us from seeking help that we need. Help that's readily available to us. I think about, my kids call this last century, and I guess it truly is, back before smartphones and GPS. See, all of us men got really excited when we could start using GPS. Do you know why? Because we didn't have to ask somebody else. Come on, be honest. I remember I was with my friend, and we were trying to find the, uh, the trailhead for a hike, and we were lost in North Bend. And I said, man, we're going to go to the gas station. I'm going to ask directions. And he looked at me. He goes, what are you doing? You call yourself a man? I said, I'm calling myself lost. I need directions. I need help. Now, you can stay in the car, and you can wander around and waste gas, but I'm going to get help. Counseling Center Hotline used the following voicemail message. <laughs> Thank you for calling. If you are obsessive compulsive, please press 1 repeatedly. <laughs> if you are codependent, please ask someone to press 2 for you. If you have multiple personalities, please press three, four, five, and six. <laughs> if you are paranoid delusional, remember that we know who you are. Even while you have been holding, we have been tracing this call. If you are schizophrenic, listen carefully, and a little voice will tell you which number to press. If you're manic depressive, it really doesn't matter which number you press. No one is going to answer anyway. Have a good day. Oh. There is an unprecedented need today in our society for help. It has been said that prior to the pandemic, there was estimated 10% of the population had mental health problems. After the pandemic, they estimated at 40. And listen, church, I believe we're part of the answer. But we're also part of the ones who need healing. This is a house of healing, and we want to be a church that's, and, and a people who embrace and help one another through these things. Because it's affected us. And we need to be willing to say, Lord, I need help. I need some help. I'm hurting. I need some counsel, Lord. Every one of us comes to that place sooner or later. But here's the thing. We often wait, and I won't ask for a show of hands, until we're in a hot mess before we finally seek counsel. 
Look at Psalms 107, 10 through 15. It says, There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because they had rebelled. Look at this. They had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Ouch. Therefore he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled, and there was none to help. Then... They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Somebody say amen. Come on. You let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. You see, talking about the children of Israel in Egypt, right? They dwelt in darkness. They were prisoners. They, they had rebelled against the words of, of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. And there's a consequence when we resist his counsel. I mean, God is, has only good for us. He has the best in mind for us. I don't know if we always truly believe that. But he does. He is a benevolent king. He is a good father. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. He's a good father. You can trust him. And, you can, and when you can trust him, now he doesn't always tell you what you want to hear, but he tells you what you need to hear. You see, my own life was an example of this. I ended up in darkness. I grew up in church. I listened to sermons after sermons after sermons every week, and my heart was hardened. I spurned those words. I rejected the counsel of God. And sooner, soon, soon enough, I began to see the fruit of that. I began to see what, what I was reaping from what I had sowed in my own life. And there was a, it wasn't until the age of 22 years old that I finally, finally, fully surrendered my life to Jesus. But it didn't have to be that way. But thank God that when we cry out to him, he still is merciful and he still comes to our aid. He still comes to deliver us. But I, I'm telling you, there are some people uh, that I only hear from in a crisis. I only hear from in a crisis. Now, I want you to call me when you're in a crisis. I, I love you. I'm here for you. But... Man, sometimes we're calling out for God. He rescues us. Then we draw back and go back to our old ways of life. Those cycles in our life. God wants to change. He wants, he wants you. He wants us. He wants intimacy with us. And he wants that counsel in our lives. He wants to be there and look upon us and guide us through each and every season of our life. Through every day, every moment, he is there for us. See, we need to understand our need. This, this bad counsel started in the beginning. Man has listened. We, listen, we're going we're gonna to listen to somebody. We're going to listen to somebody. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who's not dwell in the counsel of the wicked. Come on. We will listen to it. If we're not careful, and so Adam and Eve in that gar Adam in that garden, even that garden, listened to the counsel of the serpent. Man, he, God does. Yeah, you won't die if you eat of this. You won't die. 
God's trying to hold back from you. You can eat of this and be fine. He want, you, you'll know. You, he's, he's, he's trying to hold back from you knowledge. See, there was wicked counsel that started this whole mess. Come on. This whole mess of the world we lived in, marred by the effects of sin, sickness, corruption, evil, under the power of the prince of the air. All this started with bad counsel, and we've listened to it. And under God's government, apart from Jesus, apart from faith and trust in him, we stand guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us like sheep have gone astray, the Bible says. Because we were entirely unfit to govern our own lives. I'm going to say that again. We're entirely unfit to govern our own lives. Jeremiah put it this way. He says, I know, O Lord, in verse, chapter 10, verse 23. And see, we need to come to this point. I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself. I'll just let that sit. <laughs> Nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. See, there's something in us that God's after that independent thing where we just want to do our thing. So what did God see? He saw this big mess. He says, I need a wonderful counselor who will come and correct and make right what was ruined by sin and rebellion. All of us who stand guilty in that heavenly court, we need an advocate. Come on. We need an advocate, a counselor, our own lawyer. Jesus stands and he says, but I shed my blood for them. His blood cries out on our behalf that we can be justified. Come on. Treated as righteous. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That, that, I mean, sin is an action. We, what it is is that he didn't sin himself, and yet he was treated as a sinner so that us who have sinned and transgressed the law could be treated as righteous. I don't know about you, but that's something to get excited about. That is, thank you, Jesus, that we've been justified through faith in him and his blood. Number two is seeking his counsel. So we need to recognize that we need his counsel. Number two, we need to seek his counsel when you think about why we go to a counselor in the first place, it's because we need advice. We need guidance. We need direction, healing in our lives. How many know we, there's no shortage of advice out there? There's no shortage of advice. I mean, and you could ask 10 different people in this room and get 10 different ways to do it. And they all feel, they'd all feel probably strongly or maybe not about it, but... The crazy thing is how we will go to so many other sources before we will honestly, diligently seek the Lord. Come on. It got quiet in here. But we need to seek him. And so we do that. And he's, I want to and understand why we need to seek him. One, he's qualified to counsel us. He's qualified to counsel us. The Bible, when it says title, the title of the wonderful counselor could be translated a wonder of a counselor. In other words, his counsel, his wisdom are marvelous. Isaiah 28, 29 says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts who has made his counsel wonderful and his wisdom great. 
And then Psalm 33, 11, I love this, right? Because the, the counsel of the nations, he will nullify them, the Bible says. They, they've got their own plans. They're, you know, they, they, they rise up against the anointed one, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 2. The nations have their plans, but God has his plan. And in verse, 30, in verse 11 of chapter 33 of Psalm, it says, The counsel of the Lord stands, what? Forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. And when you look at Isaiah 11, verse 2, I don't have it up here on the screen, but 11 verse 2 says this about the Messiah, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength. You see it. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's our wonderful Savior, Jesus. Why can we seek him? He knows us better than anyone. Therefore, he knows what he need, we need. You know, many times we're, we're afraid to open up to somebody because you're like, you don't know me. I don't, I don't know how you're going to respond to me. I don't know if it's safe. Come on. But the, our Father, our, our Savior, he's safe. We can open our hearts to him. And I love the story in John chapter 1, verse 47 through 49. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him. Now, before this, Nathanael, you know, Philip had come to Nathanael and said, we found, the, we found the one. He's from Nazareth. He's like, well, what good thing could come out of Nazareth? Wait for it. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming into him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Isn't that amazing? That's all it took. He said, He knows me. That's got to be him. And he recognized, because when he recognized that Jesus knew him, he, be, he, he the revelation of who Jesus was became true to him. And here's the reality. We have to come to that place of being open and, 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 and ready to, and, and willing to acknowledge, Jesus, you know every detail in my heart. You know every detail of my life. You know how I was made. You know better than I know. In Psalm 139, David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Some say tried me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Do you see that? I love that. He knows my thoughts from afar. So even when, listen, even when I'm not walking with him, even when I'm trying to get some dis social distancing between me and God, he still knows my thoughts. He still knows every single thought. He's intimately acquainted with me. He saw me in those times of rebellion and backsliding when I was away. He was still uh, acquainted with my ways. He didn't leave me. He still saw me. I left him. But he says, even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. He knows this better than anyone. 
and he knows what we need. Also, he understands our pain and our struggles. Have you ever felt like that? You say, man, you don't understand me. I want to share my heart with somebody, but you don't understand what I've been through. You haven't been, walked in my shoes. But Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, somebody say all things, as we are, yet without sin. You know, we, we have a hard time understanding, but see, maybe this morning you're here and you've, you've experienced betrayal. Jesus understands betrayal. You've experienced grief and sorrows and loss. Jesus understands it. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, he bore our griefs and our sorrows. I remember my wonderful stepfather-in-law, Pastor Hans. He passed away, went to be with the Lord in 2013. But he was a man who had lost a, a, a son, two sons, a daughter-in-law, a wife. He experienced a whole lot of grief. And yet in the midst of all that, he'd found Jesus. And there was a depth to him. There was a depth to his life because he had, he had, in the midst of those sorrows and grief, leaned into the Lord. And what happens is that when we lean into the Lord in sorrow and grief, Jesus expands our soul, our heart. He expands us. You see, those things, those very things we want to run away from and suppress, God's like, I'm in the middle of this. I want to meet you in the middle of that thing. I understand what you're going through. See, he suffered that. He, he's, he's experienced it all as the God-man. He experienced everything we faced and more. Some, many of us have experienced trauma of some sort that has wounded us so deeply that we don't fully understand how it has affected our lives. But Jesus sees, he knows, he understands, and he's the only one who can heal it. Those deep places that have been hurt in us, he is also available. He's also available. You know, sometimes it's tough to get an appointment with a counselor when we need it, right? Come on. Hebrews 4.16 says that, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in, to help in time of need. Amen? That invitation is open. Next, he cares for you better than anyone. He cares for you better than anyone. When we first started this church and we were going out and witnessing and we had these shirts that said, uh, Bread of Life, Right? Christian Center before we became Christ the Rock Fellowship, but on the back it says, Jesus cares, and because he and we care, what was the rest of it? Because he cares and we care, you can have a miracle. And that's still the truth today. Because he cares. And he says in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your anxiety on him. And we were singing that, I speak the name of Jesus and over fear and anxiety, right? So many are, are just weighed down with fear and anxiety. He says we can cast our cares on him because he cares for you 
Now, let me just tell you this. It takes humility to acknowledge and to let go of our problems. It does. Because we want to solve them ourselves or we want to figure it out. And Jesus is like, I'll take it. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. There's so many people that need rest. They've been weighed down with anxiety and guilt and shame and the fears and everything that they've experienced apart from the Lord. And he's saying, come to me. Wonderful counselor. And you see, he can be trusted. He will not betray your trust. Whatever you commit to him, he will keep it. Because he's committed to you. He's committed to you. Do you believe that, church, this morning? So we recognize our need for his counsel. We seek his counsel. And thirdly, we're following his counsel. And I want to take you to Psalm 32, verses 8 through 9. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Isn't that beautiful? Then in verse 9, he says, Do not be as the horse... Or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Now, see, I don't work with horses, but, but um, my family likes the show Heartland. So. But they have to get these, these, these horses under control, right? And, and, it, and the, this whole show is about that. I don't know. It's a thing. Um, But he says he will guide you with his eye. And and I love that. Some of you parents know what this means, right? You're in the store and your kid's acting up and you're like. You can communicate so much through your eyes because there's an intimate knowledge, all right? Yeah, Yeah, you know where dad or mom are at right now. But he guides us gently, right? Gently, and that implies that, that implies that we have such close fellowship with Jesus to discern by his word, by the Holy Spirit, through fellowship with other believers, through preaching, teaching, and instruction of the word in our lives. We can discern his will and his direction for us. That gentle, loving guidance that our Lord provides is to, be, to the yielded follower is contrasted to the obstinate, stubborn horse or mule. Come on. All right, anyone been in that category? Me? We'll just call it a mule this morning, not the other more descriptive version. But let me just say this. God is not trying to control you. Can I say that again? He's not trying to control you. He wants, he's not some grand puppet master going, here, move this way. Now, you, you, you might go, well, I don't know if that fits with my doctrines. Okay, let's go on. What he's trying to do is conform you to his image. You're so transformed. Get it? You delight in Jesus, and he gives you the desires of your, his heart. That you begin to, from your transformed nature... Begin to choose what he wants. Are you with me? Because he's trying to make us Christians. 
Christ-like him, conform to him. And then when we long to please him and choose to uh, align our lives with his will and we, we seek him and we're staying in close, intimate fellowship, it becomes very clear what his will is in these situations. It's not a mystery because we're in tune to him. I know sometimes you're like, Lord, just take the will. I'm going, Jesus, just take the will. No. You're like, but I'm headed off a cliff. Well, then stop, hit the e-brake, and seek some GPS. All right? Surrender, submit to him. Oh, we're still learning. Man, Pastor John preached, my dad preached a message in September on submitting to God. I'm still processing that. You know, that's something we need to just talk about. You know why? Because we've got a whole society that doesn't know how to submit. A whole society doesn't know what submission looks like. And then we've got a bunch of people in church who've been hurt by it being applied wrongly. Right? We've got pains. We've got wounds because that word's been used in a manipulative, controlling way. That's not how God is. He doesn't manipulate you. He doesn't control you. Come on. He is a gentle, loving father. Behind this curtain... And we'll pull it back here eventually again. Is our stained glass of the father seeing the prodigal returning? See, the prodigal wanted to do his thing. He asked for his inheritance, which is basically saying as the father, you're as good as dead to me. I mean, he did everything in offense to the father. And yet... He goes out and wastes it. I mean, he's wasted. And yet, the father runs to see him and says, I see you. I've got a ring, a robe. I've got a feast prepared for you in my house. That's the father. He guides us. And I want to talk about a few ways before we close here on how he guides us. By his word. He guides us by his word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, we, we need to, to know the counsel of his word. His word is, is life to us. The entrance of his word brings light in our lives. It brings direction and clarity and vision and revelation of who he is and, and how he wants us to be and how he wants us to live. And out of that flows the decisions of everyday life. And that I've said it before, but it begs repeating that that lamp to my feet, it was like a foot lamp. It was enough light for the next step. Enough light for the next step. You know, so that, so that we wouldn't just go on and go, I got this, God, I'm good. But I've got enough light. I'm trusting him for each step I'm taking. By his word, by his spirit, John 16, 13 says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. You know, because earlier on in that chapter, he's described as the helper, the parakletos. The one who comes aside, alongside us. Aren't you thankful he comes alongside us? He's not dragging us. He's coming alongside us. 
And he directs us and he carries us. He is the way, the truth. He reveals Jesus to us who is the way, the truth, the life. And he's the one who pleads. Listen to this. The parakletos means one who pleads another's cause before a judge. He's a counsel for the defense. Come on. Legal assistant. He's an advocate. So the Holy Spirit is there leading us and, and, and guiding us and along, coming alongside to encourage us. The Holy Spirit's ministry is positive. It's positive. So even when he, he corrects us, he's doing it in love to, to better us to, for the best outcome. By preaching and exhortation, Paul said to Timothy, he guides us through this. He said, Paul said to Timothy, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. What's interesting is this word exhortation is paraklesis. It's similar to the Greek word for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that encouragement comes alongside us. See, this morning, I hope I, hope I can just, through the Word of God, come alongside you and encourage you, strengthen you. That his counsel would encourage you this morning through his word, through the Holy Spirit working, through the preaching of the word. Next, we're guided through fellowship with other believers. You are not a one-man band. And you can't get all the answers, just you and Jesus. You're connected to the body. All right, it got quiet in here again. Come on. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Encourage. That's also that word to come alongside. Next, we, are, we get guidance through prophetic words. Come on, I'm going to say, church, we need to prophesy. Each and every one of us are called to prophesy. You may not have the office of prophet, but you are called to prophesy. And, and Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, I, I, you should earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire them. And yes, we believe they're still active today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. Those gifts that were active in the early church are active today. And I, I, I just come against that lie. It's active today, and we will prophesy and declare his word. And because here's what happens when one prophesies. It's not a negative thing. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, he says, One will prophesy, speaks to men for what? Three things. Edification, that's to build somebody up. Exhortation and consolation. So if, if God's stirring your heart and you've got a prophetic word, guess what? That's because somebody needs some encouragement. Somebody needs to be built up. Somebody is struggling with something, and that word is going to take them up out of that darkness into his light. Come on. That's what prophecy is. It's not negative. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not sure about these, all these prophecies about future events. I'm not, I'm not. New Testament prophecies to encourage the church. And the office of the prophet, maybe, I don't know. I won't go into that. But, guys, we are here to edify, to exhort, and to encourage. Through trusted leaders and counselors. 
God puts pastors, leaders, and I know. God puts pastors and leaders and counselors in your life to help provide guidance. Yes, he speaks through other people. <laughs> it's outstanding. I have pastors in my life. I have people I call. Why? I need counsel. If we really trust him, I'm going to tell you this. If we really trust him, then we need to trust the people he puts in your life. Your trust is in the Lord. And, and some, some of us, our trusters are broken, so we, we reject, we're not open to counsel because we've been hurt. Come on. But that's the reason we need it. We need that healing. We need to receive that word. And let me tell you, it's not because I'm anything special or any of these other pastors are anything special. I love what Pastor Dwayne Sheriff says. He says, hey, how many know that donkey that had Jesus on him knew that praise wasn't for him? Right. I'll just let that sit for a moment. Says one of those donkeys. Come on. All right. Without guidance, the people fail. But in the abundance of counselors, there is victory. Do you see that? That doesn't mean we keep going around getting counsel until we hear something we like. I didn't like that answer. I'm going to go to a pastor over here. I'm going to go see sister over here. I know she's going to bless me with something else different because that, that, that was, I, I don't know if I like that. All right. I won't ask for a show of hands. All right. If we're yielded to the Holy Spirit and seeking him, then he will weave together what is shared. See, it's like, a, it's like this table of counsel is what the picture is. And guess what? When we make decisions as leadership, we come together as a council, and we, 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 we counsel, and we defer, and we, we listen to the Holy Spirit together. And you see that in the book of Acts when they were choosing the replacement for Judas. And they said it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. It's a good way to make decisions. I don't like to make decisions on my own. I like to get other wise, God-fearing people in my life, and let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord, and let's see what he has to say about this thing. And I highly recommend it in our lives. It's important. God puts counselors and leaders and people in your life as, as representatives to speak into those situations, and they're not there to control you either. That's not what we're shepherds. We're here to feed and lead and guide and, and help. We, we, we love you. All right? Praise God. Turn to your neighbor and say, pastors love you. All right? <laughs> All right. Can we have the worship team come? And as they come this morning, I just want to declare that he is a wonderful counselor. And he is here this morning to minister to us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to comfort us, to guide us, to come alongside us, to speak to our hearts. So I would ask you this morning, why don't we just stand as we close here this morning, but I would ask you this morning, do we recognize our need for his counsel?
Have we been functioning apart from his guidance? And in all honesty, I'll ask, how's that going for you? Right? And I ask that in love. Because God's got something better for you. Are we, are we willing to fully yield to his government in our lives? Are we done waiting until our life reaches a crisis point before we seek him and his help? You see, in this walk in which we are ever being changed and conformed to his image, we, unlike our kids, as they grow, they get more independent. If you're a parent, come on, you know this struggle, right? This struggle for independence. Like, oh, I know, I know this, I got this. But as we grow in the Lord, we become more dependent. We become more aware of our need. Counselor, that I need you in every moment. How dare I try to do this apart from you? Jesus, I can't figure these things out. I don't even know, but you know me better than I know me. Lord, you know the deepest, darkest places in me. You know the intimate places of my life that have been hurt. And you see it, and you understand it, and you love me more than anyone. 